0: Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 128 for Monday, February 15th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but the internet, that's you, knows him better as Pixlriffs.
1: Hello, sir. Two stacks. I just realized we're at two stacks of episodes, 128. How nice. We know- yeah. We we haven't <laughs> even acknowledged this. Like I, that seems like something I should have brought up in the pre-show uh, <laughs> because <laughs> because like normally we're on top of numbers and stuff like that, but I guess we've just been like we've been going through it and we have such a big show for everybody this week that Uh, We didn't even acknowledge it. But speaking of the pre-show, you can get that from patreon.com slash the spawn chunks if you're interested in listening to the the pre-show and the post-show chats that Joel and I have around each episode. Uh, We call it the render distance. Once again, patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. This week we talked a little bit about uh, our eating habits around this time of year. Pancakes, fish, and everything in between and we've also talked a little bit about some of the stuff that we're going to get into later regarding this week's snapshot and how well it runs on both of our PCs. So once again if you want to hear the render distance, the extended conversation, at the start and end of the podcast patreon.com slash the spawn chunks one more brief programming note before we get into what we've been doing in minecraft this week normally this week would be a chunk mail dispenser where we go through a bunch of email from people and we've had a lot of email recently especially with a couple of the discussion topics we've been tackling so thank you for all your email however uh this week's snapshot has been such a a big change in the landscape quite literally and yes i'm going to use that joke again uh that <laughs> that, uh, that we thought we would probably dedicate the entirety of this show to that uh and and talk about the news and what what all has been going on and then next week as long as there isn't another monolithic snapshot uh, we're probably going to get into chunk mail then so uh, if you're excited to have your email read on the show stay excited and tune into next week's episode where we will probably be doing a chunk mail dispenser
0: so, what have you been up to this week in Minecraft,
1: sir? This week I've had quite an interesting experience because I'm teaching somebody else to play Minecraft and not in the format that I normally do by making videos and just having a, a more sort of passive interaction with the audience. Instead, I have been uh, streaming with my brother in law, uh, who goes by Mr. Casto on Twitch, and he and I have been playing minecraft on a server that i've set up for the purposes of teaching him the game because he last played in alpha when minecraft was very new probably had about 20 <laughs> blocks wow. or so to work with yeah so I-, I joke that technically he's been playing minecraft longer than i have uh, but there's just there's just been a bigger gap in between play sessions for him so uh, yeah so i i was kind of teaching him a little bit more about the way you know minecraft as it exists now is played and it was, it was really fun. He's taken to it very well. He's already a video gamer, so he does a lot of, uh, a lot of gaming content. And he's going to pick stuff up a little bit faster than somebody who is just coming into Minecraft not really having played much other stuff. So I tell him something and he retains the information. I don't have to keep reminding him that he goes to a crafting table to get a 3x3 grid and so forth. So it's been a relatively easy experience that way. Uh, had a really fun time jump scaring him with an enderman, uh, which I will try and find a clip for as long as I can guarantee that there's not bad language because he jumps pretty bad. Um... (laughs) At one point, I think he looked at an enderman in a ravine, and I said, okay, let's retreat back to our house, and hopefully it won't follow us, and there was a section of our house that was three blocks tall, but he was standing in the two block tall part, crafting something up, and then he was like, what was that noise? And I went, turn around, and there was just an enderman, like, full frame in his... Yeah, and uh, I, I, I think I, I ended up having to kill it for him, because he was just, like, a little bit shaken by it, um, but it was, it was great stuff. It's been really fun, and... Uh, yeah, we're potentially going to be doing that more regularly, we might have another stream this week where we, we get back into it, we've just started you know, getting into stone and iron tools, and I think we found a ruined nether portal that we were in the, pl- uh, the process of exploring when uh, his internet connection unfortunately took a nosedive and we had to postpone the stream, but uh, that's been really fun, and I don't really play multiplayer Minecraft a lot, and especially not in the context of also having to make sure the other person is guided through the experience. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a fun time.
0: Out of curiosity, and this is nothing to, to say that your brother is like this, but um, do you find that when you do that with someone that is new, um, do you find it's it's a little bit hard to get focused? Like, there's just so much to look at. You kind of forget, you know, when you're in a seasoned Minecraft player and you're going, "Oh, okay, I'm going to grab some wood," and then I'm going to go look for a place to set up, and you kind of ignore the fact that there's grass blocks and stone blocks and coal blocks and what's that tree and like why can I get the leaves like like there's all these questions that new people have I find
1: and it's it's like hurting cats sometimes yeah. To, yeah. to bring new people in there is a lot there is a lot of stuff to to think about but Uh, I think the early game progression is always going to be the same. So I think Mm. once we get a little bit more developed, it might be a little bit like, okay, we're spoiled for choice now. We can go anywhere, do anything. But I think while we're still in the process of, okay, we need to get tools and food so we can at least survive that kind of like first, second day uh, Mm -hmm. way of playing Minecraft is more or less always going to be the same. And we did the usual thing of like just digging into a hillside and putting a door on it and saying, okay, this is our house for the foreseeable future. Oh yeah. We didn't get into like, okay, we're going to build a castle kind of plans. No, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in future it'll expand to something a bit more ambitious.
0: That's an old tip. That's when I was first learning to play Minecraft, I was watching, uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking on his name now. Um,
1: like Paul Sors Jr. or somebody? Yeah, it was yeah. Paul Source
0: Jr. Thank you. Um, survive and thrive in, in yeah. Minecraft. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. He would basically just walk around and look for a place where there was maybe some exposed coal. And then in the process of digging out that coal, he would also dig like a little like nine by nine or, or six by six, you know, uh, hole in the wall. Um starting with a one, you know, wide door and then just put a door on it. <laughs> it's yeah. like, this is, this is just going to be home base. It's just the easiest way to get four walls around you that you can control, you know? Um, and, um, I've done all, I've also done the other thing, which is to, um, if you're out in the plains biome and you just really want to set up kind of like right where you are, I'll dig a two deep ditch around a square mm-hmm. just to give myself a moat essentially yeah, you yeah. can still get shot by skeletons depending on how how big your area is but if you've got a bunch of torches on the ground and a moat at least zombies and and really at that state of the game what kills me are the the baby zombies and chicken yes. jockeys like that's mm-hmm. just that's where i just like first person melee i'm just like nope not good at this <laughs> you know? yeah. and and i end up dying to that kind of stuff so um, I find that that kind of thing is, is better although now that was but when I last time I did that there weren't phantoms in the game So this it's yeah. a different but it's a different ball game being out in the open like that now
1: Yes, um, I've we have not got as far as phantoms yet. The, the other thing about Chris is that he's a pretty severe arachnophobe and so oh. like and 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 he's he's played horror games on his channel where he's like not been able to look at the screen because there have been some spider-looking enemies right and uh there's there was, in particular i think he played the sequel to the evil within and the final boss basically just births spiders from it at one point and they start <laughs> running around and chasing you and like he he wears a heart rate monitor for games like that and it's going up into like the 180s <laughs> and you're like wow okay this man is about to die on stream um but then oh my gosh we, we talked about it beforehand because i knew this about him and i was trying to be like relatively compassionate about it and was like okay so there are spiders in this game they are of course very cartoony and block um but i obviously wanted to make sure it was okay with him i could set up a mod or some command blocks that would remove spiders from the game and he said last time i played i remember I don't remember liking them, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't like, okay, I don't want to play this anymore. So, right. yeah, and and he, he he has taken the approach of just, like, killing any spider he sees with, like, a vengeance. So I, I think he's probably going to be okay. Uh, I We haven't got as far as cave spiders and abandoned mineshafts yet, which might change his mind. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, I think for now, like, the surface-level spiders he is largely okay with, which is good. I think they, they also don't move as creepily as actual spiders do the sort of articulation Mm. of the legs is probably a a big part of it and just like the the thing that creeps people out about spiders so uh i i said yeah there are spiders they might jump at you to attack and he said okay i think we'll be all right and so far he's been a trooper so so props to him
0: Um, I'm not super jumpy in games, but you should let him know not to play Satisfactory because uh (laughs) the the bugs in that, and they're not like spiders, they're spider-like, they're designed to be spider-like, but they're like six legs, maybe four legs depending, but they are fast.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And
0: they have that articulation thing that like even, I mean, the streams are long down now, but like when I was playing last winter, like there were some audible moments for me just going like <laughs> like just get away from me like i just I, I i don't know what it is about all fantasy games everywhere they probably have lord of the rings or the hobbit to thank for it but like every single game that i've played the first boss slash first enemy thing that you have to encounter in the world is usually a
1: spider the size of a cow
0: mm-hmm. and just like why why yeah. is it
1: always spiders it, it's it's like either that or slimes right it's like the basic enemy right. is either you know so- something that we don't have a great deal of affection for in the real world or just something fantasy enough but still squishy enough that you can just wail on it for a while
0: <laughs> yeah Oh man. So with with Chris, are you are you backseating uh not in the Twitch way, but in the letting him make all the decisions just kind of like helping him when he gets stuck or are you like front and center guiding and him following along?
1: It's a guide sort of thing for now. I think simply because the early game doesn't really teach you a great deal about it like a, a lot of it would go a lot slower and i feel like with a stream audience there he would probably be just getting tips from the chat and stuff anyway right i think later on like i said once we get a bit better geared up i have i have sort of put him out in the open and said like okay it's daytime like we've got a little bit of equipment we've got like stone pickaxes and swords we've got a little bit of iron armor now we have shields what do you want to do and he's kind of gone i don't really know yet and i've gone fine okay like let's go and let's go and look at that spruce biome over there you know let's let's go and gather a little bit more wood and find the stuff that's more unique to each biome which kind of ties into the stuff i've been doing in survival guide lately as well uh kind of making these biome dioramas and saying like what is unique resources for each biome you get vines from a swamp or a jungle you get berry bushes from a tiger you get foxes there as well you know this i i kind of like i have a little bit of this stuff at the forefront of my mind so if i want to show him an overview of what's possible and then he can basically just point and go that one and we'll go okay and we'll focus on that for a while then maybe that'll work out but it remains to be seen if it's something he's gonna keep up with or if he just prefers playing more variety games that he's already been doing but uh, yeah that's that's where we're at right now and, and looking forward to doing a little bit more uh, how about you how's uh, i assume the medieval town progresses well it does, actually. Uh, I believe the last time we were talking about some of the landscaping
0: that I was doing in mm. what's now, I'm calling it West Hill, because it's the west part of the town and there's a hill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I like, I like the fact that I'm sort of organically naming neighborhoods. And so uh, the first part of my weekend was spent uh, finishing off the rest of that hillside into the river and kind of making sure that the river uh, access worked out the way that I wanted to. Uh, and then I got into roads, and as soon as I kind of realized that there was a large flat place, this is like where I thought, okay, well, I've got a market area, kind of like a food vendor area planned for other places in the town. This is going to be more like a merchant place, like things where you would buy clothing or weapons or like that kind of stuff. More, more expensive goods, that kind of idea. And um, so I quickly got into figuring out where the road access was going to happen. I had kind of ballparked an idea for a west gate. Um, but I needed to kind of, I wanted to refine that because the way that I'm approaching this, and this is a tip that I picked up from, from whip a long time ago, um, is he's always thinking about what your player view experience is when you come around a corner or when you go through a gate or when you like do certain things. Yeah. And, and framing different parts of your builds with your entrances So like yes you've got this nice keep in the middle of the thing but how often do you frame that keep or or reveal that keep from going around a corner to make the player go wow because they're walking around on foot you know and so that's what i had to do i had to adjust my um my gate positioning and stuff like that but the merchant square and the road ended up being uh an octagon for the square And it worked out just there's a bunch of little happy accidents. And this is one of my favorite things about Minecraft where you're you're if you're not clear cutting and flattening an entire area, you're just kind of you're trying to interpret the landscape and build upon that. And I've got this moat that goes around the keep and I was going to run it right down next to the keep and into the river. But because of the way that the hillside was working, there's a steep part. And then I had this um, octagonal um, village square that I wanted to put in. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if the moat actually went down into like a canal and the canal went under the square and out the other side into the river, creating a, a bit of a uh, like a culvert or, or a sewer. Nice. Yeah, and then uh, I thought, well, I could, I could then put a bridge over that because I thought it'd be really cool to have some water here in the town that i have to bridge over that's not just the river like so not big bridges bridges that are like you know six or eight blocks long just little foot bridges and stuff and so i've got this plan to have the 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 moat go underneath the square uh you're the moat has a waterfall from the moat down into the 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 the, um the canal so i'm yeah i'm looking forward to how this is all going to come together in the end and i'm feeling better about this side of town even though i haven't drawn out all the roads or planned out any buildings i'm just kind of I have that uh not satisfaction feeling. I have that safe feeling of like okay, I've planned the road, I have the entrance, I have my limits, I have my my bookends. Now I just have to be creative and figure out how much I can fit in here. Yeah. And and I find that for me as a builder, I need to know where I am before I can figure out what I'm going to build.
1: Mhm. Yeah. And so
0: that's where I am with that. Yeah, I Uh. I think
1: it's it's nice to have that feeling of knowing what you're going to do next when you're embarking on a project like this. It's like, okay, I'm logging out now, but when I come back... I'm gonna be able to do this, this, and this. You sort of have a shopping list basically of things that you need to, a a checklist of stuff to tick off. Whereas I think sometimes when you get stuck into a project like this, if you don't know what's coming up next, it's too easy to log in and then spend about two hours not really doing very much. So I Mm -hmm. think planning out, this could be a good strategy for anybody who's working on a, a project like this in future is, before you log out, Plan the next step of the town, even if it's just like marking out where a road is going to go or something like that. Like, So give yourself something to do the next time you log in, and I feel like that experience is going to go a lot better for you.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I remember logging in Friday, having no idea what I was going to do next, but knowing that I hadn't finished the landscaping. So was just like, well, the landscaping thing is, just like I, it has to happen sooner or later. A chill Friday night stream, you know, pushing grass around sounds like a fine, you know, way to spend the evening. So
1: mm-hmm. uh, it does
0: allow a little bit more chat time on stream because you're not quite as involved with a build, you know? Um, and I really, I'm glad I did it because going into the weekend, uh, I started with a lot more thoughtful block placing, like really trying to hone things in. And, and I found that that was helpful in terms of like what I was gonna do next. And for me, um, I'm not sure how you do roads, but like I tend to just run them. Like I, I walk where I think I want them to go and I'm just kind of like randomly throwing down a cobblestone block like every six blocks. Yeah. And, and then I, I use this map mod that I have um, just for aesthetics and ease of um, content creation uh to then look down at it from the top down and say like "Mm, that's pretty straight like i should maybe get a curve to that or you know where does that really want to enter the woods and exit the town and all this kind of stuff and then i can refine that curve a little bit and then when i come back the next stream you know i say okay now it's time to really figure out where is the road like i need the the right and the left side of the road i need to know how wide it is i need to know where it curves and i'll spend longer than i should maybe um honing that road but In the end it gives me some really clear boundaries to to work within and one of the things that i noticed was um in the other gates that i've built uh in the town they're all cardinal directions so north south and east and they're all square they all face those directions you know uh and this one the way that the landscape was as i'm trying to utilize the landscape there is no west because west is a mountain it's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons i chose this location for for the 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 town and so the west gate is just located west but it actually faces southwest and uh, as a result i had to build an angled gate which i've never done uh still process it's it's only about half finished uh and even then there's still a lot of details that need to be filled in but uh had a lot of fun the other day putting this together where uh i had to do the the wireframe now thankfully it came together really quickly because i already have three other gates in the city or in the town to to pull from. And I'm trying to get these to go in a way that are oldest to newest. And this is kind of like the second newest. So I had an opportunity to make it more fancy, you know, have a little bit more um, advanced architecture and stuff involved. It's not just like a stone box with a hole in it, you know, like it's actually got like a, a covered battlement and it's got a tower with some uh, multiple peaks and some fancy stuff on the top. So it looks a little bit nicer in that way. And um, I... And also because it's going into the fancy rich part of town i also wanted to make it look like it had more money involved you know like mm-hmm. the people that were there were maybe had more building materials and were able to put more into it and um again um really having a good time uh both with an angled build and it's not like a true angled build the towers are still square uh in terms of minecraft placement they're just they're right angles but then the The gate part itself runs at, uh, I think it's a 20 degree angle when you do two, two over one up, but it was a lot of fun. It came together a lot faster than I thought it was going to. And I got to use the new wall connection for the stone brick walls Yeah, and how they, how they are nice and smooth and there's no gaps in them. And man, what a nice way to add some depth, make things look fancy.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's come together really well. I think the the hardest part of doing angled stuff like this is when you have to also then insert a rounded shape like an archway into it. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff that always messes me up. And I I really think it's because I don't build on a, a big enough scale for some of the stuff that I try and do. And so I end up trying to make an arch that's only like five blocks wide in an angled wall as well. And it just looks like far too blocky for the scale. And I think what you've got here is a really nice balance of scale and you know, working with the angle that you've got already and it, it, it sort of fits into that wall very nicely. Not to mention, I like the detail you've got with the stairs kind of overlapping into the next row of blocks over in the roof line in the, the shot where you've got shaders in there. That looks really nice. I think that, that comes together very well as a, an adjoining effect
0: thanks man yeah i just at the the layers and i mean obviously i pick up a lot of stuff from from watching you know players like you and, and whip and mythical sausage and i'm kind of like borrowing all these techniques from people but um i was it took me a while to sort out the archway and basically it's just it's just a matter of taking the archways that i've built before that i like and translating them into a direct kind of like hole through the the gate and the hole is straight even though the gate is on an angle. And that, I think, was the trick. I tried to make the hole be completely perpendicular and go through at an angle, Yeah, like an, you know, and it really didn't work out very well because of how small it is, because it's only six blocks wide. This was the other challenge is that normally I do, like you said, five blocks, seven blocks, nine blocks. Like you want, usually people want odd numbers with a, a single block center. And the way that this particular angle is, is put together on the... Uh, the gate you're always going to have uh an even number of blocks yeah. so my scent my center gate was either four or six or eight and eight felt too big and so i went with six and um i think that might have helped a little bit but there are there are some angles depending on, it's only for a second, but when you're walking underneath it, there's a couple of points where the stair blocks kind of look funny, not on the side that you're going through, but the side that you're emerging from. It looks a little bit weird sometimes when you see the silhouette, but there's nothing you can really do about it unless you wanted to make a square hole, you know? Yeah. Moving on into the news this week. Boy, howdy, do we have something <laughs> for you folks? Oh, yes. Uh Ma- Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 21W06A. This week's snapshot introduces a major change to how caves are generated within Minecraft. You could say that we're now introducing the cave part of Caves and Cliffs. This is only the first step in our underground adventure, so please note that snapshots show features in early development and that there are two notable caveats to this snapshot. You'll be unable to open old worlds in this snapshot as they are currently there is currently no upgrade path towards new world height, All caves, the new type between Y31 and Y63, will be flooded with water. Uh, That is from the uh, Minecraft.net post we'll have linked in our show notes. Uh, The new features added in 21W06A added noise caves and aquifers. Noise caves and aquifers include things like uh, a new way of generating caves, providing more neutral variety. They can get really huge sometimes. Noise caves come into flavors. Cheese caves... I see what they did there. Like the holes in Swiss cheese, these often form caverns of various sizes and spaghetti caves, long squiggly tunnels, sometimes wide, uh, like um, Tengeletti. I'm not sure how they...
1: (laughs) Tagliatelli, I think.
0: Tagliatelli. Yeah, I'm not Italian if you can't tell. Um, The noise part of noise caves is a technical term and has nothing to do with sound. The old cave uh, caverns and canyons still generate, combining with noise caves from the to form interesting cave systems as with carvers when noise caves intersect the surface they form cave entrances an aquifer is an area with local water level independent of sea level aquifers use uh, used during world generation to generate bodies of water inside noise caves this sometimes results in a large underground lake For now, aquifers are only used below Y-31. This means all noise caves between Y-31 and sea level will be flooded with water and noise cave entrances will essentially be lakes. Uh, This will be fixed later. Magma sometimes generates at the bottom of underground bodies of water. Underwater cave carvers and underwater canyons have been removed since
1: aquifers are used to generate water in caves instead. This snapshot also, as it hints at in the opening spiel, uh, introduces generation range and build limit expansions, which have been expanded up to uh, 64 blocks up and 64 blocks down to a total range of 384 blocks, which previously was 256. Uh, Underground features, structures, and caves now generate all the way down to Y-64. There are mineshaft changes as well. Mineshaft pieces do not generate if they would be fully floating in the air and mineshaft corridors are now supported by oak log pillars when needed. They've also removed any kind of floating cobwebs that would just be hanging in midair in a cave. They've also fixed a couple of bugs from previous snapshots including big drip leaf being able to be broken with arrows in an area that should have been covered by server spawn protection and small drip leaf being able to grow to destroy any block, which was the bedrock breaking glitch we talked about in a previous episode. Before we move on and talk about some of this, which is going to be the main discussion for the show, uh, I do want to bring up the Minecraft Dungeons Flames of the Nether DLC announcement. There is a minecraft.net blog post and also a YouTube video, the Minecraft Dungeons Dev Diaries Flames of the Nether DLC, which I really recommend watching, as it's going to give you a really good overview of some of the stuff coming in in the update but i'll give you the verbal overview uh, flames of the nether introduces six new story missions of paid dlc to minecraft dungeons all of which are set in the nether there'll be familiar mobs from the vanilla minecraft nether all set to feature including ghasts blazes wither skeletons and piglins the terrain has been inspired by nether update biomes and structures but also by the dungeons team's interpretation of the nether and piglin civilization Along with this, a free update, so not something that you need to buy the DLC for, is going to introduce a feature called Ancient Hunts. Procedurally generated endgame missions where players have a little more control over the parameters of the mission and can yield Gilded Gear. Gilded Gear includes a new higher tier of enchantments which are unique to that category of equipment, you won't be able to get them on anything else that drops. A piglin merchant is also going to be added to the camp, along with the opportunity to find gold ingots as a currency while exploring the existing levels. Since piglins will trade in gold and not emeralds, this guy's going to give you some more exclusive gear you wouldn't be able to get from the regular village merchants. The team is also planning on rebalancing Apocalypse Plus difficulty to make it more appealing to long-term players, and more information on that should be coming soon.
0: So I watched the Dungeons Diaries about uh, the nether coming to Minecraft Dungeons, and I'm sure they were showing off some of like the later game stuff, and they, and I, or it just be, could be because I haven't played past the first um, boss in Dungeons. But man, did it look fun, but overwhelming. Like yes. there was a lot of fire.
1: <laughs> a lot of fire and a lot of piglins shooting at you more or less constantly. And in some of the, the video footage they had basically a bunch of piglin crossbowmen who are just like absolutely wailing on the player who to their credit didn't seem bothered much by that so hopefully they're a little bit less damaging than the pillager archers are but yeah it, it seems like there's a lot of very intense uh kind of areas of that and as you might expect from the nether when you get swarmed by zombie pigmen it's the same kind of experience you're just vastly outnumbered right away so maybe they're trying to go for that kind of vibe with uh, with the dungeons dlc
0: I, I mean, it looks fantastic. I, I, you know, the way that Dungeons handles graphics and we've seen things like lava before, you know, in in Dungeons and how cool it looks with like the heat wobble and and um, how intense it looks and, and the, the nicer graphics. And I, I just, I really, I just immediately felt it looks like Dungeons, but it looks like the Nether. Like it, yeah. it didn't feel tacked on. It felt like what a cool way to do this. Like the, the seemingly kind of like you know top down look with like well you can see where they've kind of had a relatively flat surface that has multiple different directions but instead of being woods or or um mountains or things in your way it's just sheer drop offs into lava or nether or you know vast nether wastes and things mm-hmm. like that so it even though you probably in a lot of ways and in a lot of the th- places that I saw in, in the trailer not the trailer the diary video it looks like you can get knocked off into oblivion and die quite easily uh which could be good because if you're dealing with that many mobs if you're not really you don't really care about all the drops you might get from from piglins and stuff like that pushing them off the edge might be a viable way of dealing with you know that many mobs you know you Mm -hmm. get a an arrow with pushback or something that explodes and sends you know six piglins flying over the edge that just reduces your foes by half you're like sweet you know like i can handle that kind of stuff yeah
1: Um, Having gone through the game weaponless and having used the there's a wind horn artifact that pushes enemies back a few blocks like mm -hmm. throwing stuff into a pit like that really satisfying And, and looks way more possible in some of the areas of the nether that we've seen already because there's sort of a lot of netherrack bridges and things like that. I think they've done a a really good job. Like, I, I can't imagine what this would have looked like had they not just had the nether update landscape to pull from because they would have had to take so much more creative liberty with the look of the nether to create a bunch of different stages. But then with each of the biomes basically providing, well, you can have a nether wastes, a soul sand valley, a basalt delta, like all of that can be individual missions in themselves, not to mention generated structures and stuff. They've got a lot more to play with now. And it really does seem like they've gone a little bit deeper into, like from what they said in the dev diaries, into what they imagine piglins to have been doing in the nether all this time. The idea that they have some civilization of their own beyond just milling around bastions like they do in vanilla. Uh, So I think there's going to be a little bit more depth of the lore here, whether that turns out to be canonical to all of Minecraft or if it's just Minecraft Dungeons kind of remains to be seen.
0: I like the back and forth. I like the back and forth we're seeing with, like, you know, we've got Howling Peaks, and then we've got Caves and Cliffs, and then we've got the Nether update from last summer, and then we've got, um, what's it called? Um, Fire and something? Flames Uh, of the Nether, yeah. Flames of the Nether. Yeah, like, I just, I love how vanilla Minecraft and Minecraft Dungeons is, like, feeding off of one another. It's so
1: cool. They're sort of in conversation a little bit. And it mm. it will be interesting to see if the Minecraft Dungeons end DLC has any kind of influence on what the end update that will presumably be coming a few updates down the line in vanilla Minecraft will will end up looking like. So that's, that's something to keep tabs on as well. But as far as this goes, I mean, it's got six missions, which is twice the size of any of the last few DLCs that had like two story missions and a bonus mission. So that's pretty promising as far as... And it's not going to be... Um, it's already part of the latest, uh, like, season pass of DLC, so I don't know if it's going to cost the same as previous DLC or if it's going to be, like, ever so slightly more, but it seems like it's introducing a lot of content for people who are hungry for that sort of thing. Um, assuming that people buy into DLC right away, a new player stepping into Minecraft Dungeons is going to have about 30 levels to play at this point, and there's going to be more in the uh, upcoming Ocean and End DLCs as well, so... You know, for people who thought that this game was lacking in content on its initial release when it was still priced like 20 bucks or whatever it was, then if you go all in and pay closer to what you'd expect for a full price game, then you're going to get like a whole mess of levels by the time that this thing is done. Uh, so, So potentially a bit more content there for people who've been asking for that. And it seems like the way they're expanding Endgame with Ancient Hunts also seems like a smart idea. It's along the same lines of apocalypse plus but what it really does is from what we can tell generate a procedural level that's not necessarily any of the terrain that you've already seen so for people who are just bored of running the same levels over and over this might actually be a good antidote to the repetition of that is having a level that you've never seen before and will possibly never see again and just has a completely different landscape to uh, to anything else i i like the idea of this and if it can give the player a bit more equipment to play around with and change up the uh, the weapon styles a little bit, it's going to be all, all the better.
0: Did anything visually stick out to you? Because I love the way that the warped and crimson forests look in dungeons.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. There's there's a few just bits of set dressing and plant life and stuff that they put into the crimson forest in particular that looks like recognizably like... um like vanilla minecraft but just taken to the next logical step really mm-hmm. and they they've done great job they've done a great job throughout the entire art design of minecraft dungeons to have transitions between blocks more than we get in vanilla right so you'll have like in the desert temple level for example you'll have sort of stone bricks tiles inset into the floor and then you'll have one that's like a little bit covered in sand and then mostly covered in sand and there are these sort of transitions as though like 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 with a a mossy cobblestone block getting mossier and mossier until it becomes moss almost um and they've done the same thing with the the nether update version they've done um you know, a, a, a netherrack block that's, like, partly covered in nilium, like, it's mid-transition, and, uh, I, I think blending in stuff like that into the terrain makes the whole thing feel a little bit more believable and and allows you to transition from area to area much more smoothly. So I, I think the the visual style of it all looks really good.
0: I, I was also, uh, noting the size of some of the piglins that the brutes look big and i know that the armored pillagers from my run through were were big but i think these look bigger it might be just because their heads are bigger and Mm -hmm. like a different shape than you know than villagers villagers have like that long narrow head you know whereas piglins have like a football (laughs) sort of shape to them and um they just it looked more intimidating than piglin brutes that i've seen in game like in vanilla
1: Yeah, yeah, having them be a little bit larger, the axes are more detailed as well, rather than just being like a standard pixel art gold axe. They've actually got a bit more heft to them, and they look kind of a little bit, you know, more interestingly designed. They've uh, they've got gold helmets on as well, and I think one of the boasts about Piglin Brutes when they were added to Vanilla was that they don't need to wear armor because they're just so tanky. And mm. I think in this case, you just needed that to have them stand out and make them look like we are the kings of the piglins, you know, with, with yeah. the gold hat on. Um, yeah, yeah. So they also they've also added this piglin merchant who I like this idea a lot. He's uh, the the sort of friendly piglin you have at camp that you trade with. He sort of looks almost like shamanic. He looks he kind of reminds me a bit of like Torrens from World of Warcraft, where they basically attack you with a tree trunk. He's got this like <laughs> this kind of heavy set piglin with a big log across his back, and um, he's. Uh, like a druid class almost he's invented a potion that lives lets him like live in the overworld without zombifying he basically just like drinks some sort of mushroom spore thing and he doesn't turn into a zombie piglin when he's in the overworld and again like little touches like that little scrapes of lore here and there in this game are uh really helping it stand out from vanilla minecraft by giving it a story but still allowing the player's imagination to take over in spots do you remember the junk lady from jim henson's labyrinth film Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's the the image that I get in my head. Um, Obviously, it's more pleasant in Minecraft Uh (laughs) Minecraft Dungeons, Uh, but it's one of those things that I just, that's immediately what I thought of, like the hunchback with like all of the things on your back. The kind of droopy hair and stuff as well. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, totally. (laughs) It's very
1: much that image.
0: Yeah, it's really, really bizarre. So with all the stuff going on in the screen, and this is my last point on this, this is kind of a what's a new it's a newbie question because I, I haven't gotten this far in, in dungeons, but is there much spell casting in Minecraft dungeons later on? Because I have only ever used like swords and hand weapons and bows with artifacts that give me abilities, but I've not actually held a wand and like shot spells or fireballs
1: or ice stuff forward. Does that happen in dungeons? Well, it still happens through artifacts because like the the game in general mostly supports this kind of melee ranged Uh, Approach where you've always got a sword of some kind, or some sort of melee weapon and some sort of ranged weapon. And the ranged weapons are pretty much exclusively bows. You get like crossbows and stuff as well, but you don't really get anything that changes from the archetype of a weapon you swing and a weapon you shoot. The wands and things like that really come into play in the form of artifacts, which, yeah, you get a lot more stuff like this after you leave default difficulty and you move on to the higher difficulty levels. Ah, okay. there, There are uh swords and bows that help you gather souls as like a currency and that's how you use stuff like the corrupted beacon which you'll probably have got if you played through the game at least once um and then further into other other difficulties you'll get a more a, a greater variety of soul-based artifacts and there, there are a few of those that were added in the dlcs as well there's an ice wand that basically attacks the way the ice does dropping a boulder of ice on top of enemies and stunning them there's a few things like that that rely on souls as a kind of a currency to, to use them as mana points, effectively. Uh, so it expands a little bit later, and it's something that we may see a bit of an expansion to in uh, Flames of the Nether, but I think a lot of it is still going to rely on you walking up to stuff and hitting them to start with. You need to gather souls. You basically need to build up your mana points from zero whenever you start each new level. So typically you have to do a bit of melee and ranged combat before you really get into the spellcasting side of things. You're sort of being encouraged to multi-class from the get-go, really.
0: Because it would be interesting if they ever add, rather than just new armor and new weapons, if they ever added a new weapon type, you know, like a a wand that then would replace your bow. Like if you have a wand, you can't have a bow. You have to choose between the two. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then I don't know what they would do for arrows, like because currently your arrow, bow is managed by how many arrows you have but one obviously wouldn't shoot arrows you'd have to have some other thing to then stack up in your inventory like yeah. mana or 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 like you said maybe you then you first have to hit a bunch of stuff with swords before you then can unleash your ranged weapons power uh whether it freezes people in place or sets fireballs or ca- wind spell i don't know like whatever could be you know um youth. and like you said like you know the the horn that blows enemies back by so many blocks like that kind of stuff is currently attached to to artifacts and so just the, the the expansion of the game into various different biomes and now different dimensions has just got me thinking like what are they going to do for gameplay to then expand that not just give you new places to walk around
1: you know yeah yeah i i think i think the problem right now is the the reason that people aren't returning to this game a little bit more is that your class is so um so fluid you can basically change equipment to change class at any time so the game has to be more adaptable and as such you don't really get the more specialized weapons like having like a a wand that has a different sort of projectiles to arrows because you just pick up arrows as you go throughout the map and I guess that would be simple enough to do if you just swapped the arrow sprite for something else and then suddenly you were picking up you know like mana orbs or something instead but I think the uh the the main point of it is it is it's the same sort of equipment you're getting throughout and that might be what's uh maybe tiring some people out of it sooner than they've really given it credit for i think the the problem with the game now is that the only rewards they can really give to the player at this point is more equipment which isn't Mm. going to appeal to everybody just to have a wider range of uh things you can use so we'll see but flames of the nether looks fun i i'm looking forward to trying it out i think it is due out uh, if not later in February, then in early March, I forget exactly what the release date said it was going to oh, be. Oh, wow. Uh, no, February 24th, according to the the Minecraft.net article. So we should be seeing that like basically next Wednesday, if not not this coming Wednesday after the, the show, but basically the Wednesday after next week's show, we'll be uh, stepping into the nether in Minecraft Dungeons. I got some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, right. Uh, let's move on to chunk mail. Uh, we got one Short email to read here today. This one comes in from Tiki Man. Uh, if you would like to email the show, uh, once again, we have a chunk mail dispenser episode coming up that we'd love to read some emails for. Uh, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. So Tiki Man writes uh, on the subject of flaming arrows and flares Hello, Joel and Johnny. I have been a fan of the show since your last interview with Azuma Void. I love what you do and wanted to say thank you. I just watched Azuma's video on the latest snapshot and I had an idea. I don't think minecraft needs more new items and blocks i would rather see the current blocks be used in better or in new ways the new caves are very dark and i was thinking that it would be nice if you could throw a torch down a cave a ravine or some other opening in the ground kind of like how they do in the movies with glow sticks or flares the torch could give some temporary light that would eventually burn out similar to how flame arrows can cast a light like with optifine I know that's not a vanilla thing, but what if it was with a flare or a flare arrow? You could use a bow or a crossbow to shoot the flare and light up big caves. I don't think this should be permanent lighting. Maybe something along the lines of a rocket. To craft flares, maybe a tiered set of crafting recipes could give flares different durations of light. I have no idea what the crafting recipe would be. I think it should be something accessible by late to early or late early or mid game. So so the end of early game and into mid game. Um... Maybe using items that you'd find on your way to the caves, maybe even something to do with the new glow berries or the glow squid. Thanks, Tiki Man. So yeah, uh, dynamic lighting is the feature they're talking about in Optifine, and that does actually allow you to use anything that looks like it would produce light. So even in entity form, a torch or a flaming arrow is going to cast an aura of light around it, which it doesn't in vanilla Minecraft. And I think, historically speaking, I think the the best explanation of this is because the developers don't want to mislead the player into thinking an area is lit up with block light that's going to prevent mob spawns, when actually it's just a temporary light that's going to disappear or not really affect the surroundings. So uh, how do you feel about the idea of having flares or something that we can throw down into a ravine when we're spelunking it's one of the first
0: things that i miss when i start a snapshot world or a play survival thing where i don't have optifine is that if i have a flame bow and i'm exploring a cave i generally like to see where the other side of the cave is and show i'll shoot a flame arrow and say oh that's where the other cave is or this is what i'm walking into not necessarily to see everything i just kind of want to get a gist of like what i'm you know what cavern i'm exploring i miss it immediately and i'll do it and i'll shoot the flame arrow into the wall and go like oh that did nothing because i don't have up to find because i'm mm-hmm. so used to it um steve s actually wrote in with a very similar thought on uh the problematic of dark caves uh, that we're going to talk about in just a minute um and projectile light sources and how that would help deal with like these massive areas of pitch black that have a lot of mobs that have an easy access to you because of how the shape of the cave is yeah and uh it their their comment was that running around and spamming torches didn't really feel fun. It just mm-hmm. felt like you you have to do this in order to deal with this cave, yeah. uh, rather than exploring it naturally. You know, um, and so for me, I like the idea. I I understand that there's probably one a technical hurdle uh, to do it in the game, uh, two a rabbit hole that maybe Mojang Studios does want to go down, which is to introduce entities giving off light and to your point three that they don't want to confuse the player and make make them think that this could be light that's going to prevent mobs from spawning um i do like the minecrafty idea though of of something more imaginative than even just a flare Um, maybe we could sacrifice something like copper or glow berries to make something um i i think that it's kind of basic but like what about like a flaming sticky arrow like something that needs like gunpowder a slime ball and a flame enchantment and then like even makes a weird kind of like squishy stucks sch- down when it hits the wall you know kind of like a suction cup you know mm-hmm. on the end of an arrow um i just i feel like arrows because the players know how they work they have this you know they don't stick around or correct me if i'm wrong do they stick around as long uh, as an entity like if you shoot an arrow into a block and you drop an entity on the ground i know the entity disappears in
1: five minutes arrow despawn timer is one minute i believe Right. So
0: having an arrow that eventually falls off the block, which I know people have used in like Redstone and games for different timing Mm -hmm. things. Like if that was to emit light, if it was a arrow specifically made, you know, for that, not just any arrow, you have to make it. I think that might communicate to the player like this is for lighting stuff up, you know, temporarily, because as with all arrows, it eventually falls off the block and disappears. You know, like eventually the flame goes out. Uh, It could be Silly and fun, it could have a really cool noise to it, you know, like, just I'm thinking about something that sizzles, like, you know, any time in Jurassic Park where they light up a flare and it has that kind of that whoosh noise, you know, mm-hmm. and, and phosphorus is shooting everywhere, you could do some really cool stuff, I think. Uh, I I don't know whether it's something on their radar, but I like the idea, and, and having watched your video, uh the snapshot video, and how dark the caves were, uh I think it might be something worth considering.
1: Yeah, I... I do think we need to do something about the way players can light up a space like this to avoid torch spam just having to be a thing and it's going to be so much more prevalent in cave bases than it is in the on the surface now because the surface is at least light for half of the day <laughs> and that's not going to be the case at all in caves and if you want to explore caves and set up a more permanent base there you're going to have a lot, uh, a lot better of a time if you have an easy way to light stuff up. I I think the real problem here is game balance and being able to light something permanently from a distance potentially means that you can go into, say, a ravine, using an example that people are familiar with from vanilla if they haven't played the new snapshot and just fire at all of the stuff above you and then that lights up everything so you don't need to worry about mobs at all and then suddenly you've removed a lot of the challenge of going caving in a ravine to begin with so i think it's really got to be either i think what tiki man here was suggesting was a temporary light source and and something like like you say like a an arrow that despawns after a minute or something like that that's going to allow you to rush through but if you take your time you spend a bit too long there then potentially like you need to renew them they're in limited supply you have you know a harder time crafting stuff like that they're not affected by infinity so like tipped arrows they go away maybe i I think some of that stuff is potentially uh there but then that's also a block that disappears after a minute in in game terms there's potentially other stuff you can do with that but i don't know how i feel about something like that just disappearing after a while and I don't know what the the technical uh, side of things is going to what it implies for the rest of the game I just think maybe maybe there is a way of having not necessarily ranged lighting but just having a, a better way of lighting up caves as a larger radius for a light source or something like that because I think for the moment we are going to be hamstrung by the limited amount of light sources we have and torch spamming everything is still one of the bigger problems in Minecraft in general and and light being tied to mob spawning is one of the biggest problems we have for the future of the game in general so i think at some mm. point there's going to have to be either a separation of that or a reworking of how light values affect mob spawning but that's that's another discussion entirely and i think one we've yeah uh, we've covered in depth elsewhere
0: this is a last minute don't have to talk about it in depth but and it could be too much of a make easy button but we have uh copper uh spy glasses what if there were like a way to make like night, night vision goggles. I know there's a night vision potion. Like, I get I get that. Yeah. I'm just wondering if there was a, a late game thing to, like, you have to deal with these dark caves first until you have the material to make this, and then this helps you see for, like, similar to how um, when you're underwater, you still have bubbles. Even if you have um, gear that helps you breathe underwater, you still have a limit. And I'm yeah. wondering if there could be a way to do that where you have to maybe you hold the torch in your hand maybe it's a different kind of torch and it just lights up farther in front of you so that you can see but it has like it it will eventually go out similar to how you have a hunger bar that you have to manage like maybe there could be some sort of light bar um i can't remember which game it was i feel like it's there's a couple of different survival games I've heard of that your torches are not infinite like Minecraft, you have to continually fuel them. Was PixArk like that? Did you have to fuel?
1: Yeah, Ark Survival Evolved is like that. PixArk is like that. You have to constantly feed hay or whatever into a torch to make sure it stays lit. And Mm. that that can get a little bit tedious, especially for a game game like Minecraft that doesn't necessarily rely on like mechanics like things decaying over time, food rotting, and that sort of stuff. It's, It's much more a survival mechanic than it is a sandbox mechanic. How do you feel about some spelunking, sir? Uh, absolutely, like I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board. From from what we've seen, uh, I'm, I'm very, very enthusiastic about what they've done. Um, what were your first impressions of all of this? Because uh, I, I basically, I found out about the snapshot while I was doing something else, and so I wasn't really able to to get first impressions like right then and there. But having uh, having taken a quick look through the changelog, I instantly wanted to to see what they had done.
0: I did the same thing last week, I was really busy. And so I read the change log and then on the weekend popped into the, the snapshot and uh, I did more flying around in creative just kind of looking for stuff and looking for shapes. Um, but I did watch your video about the survival experience. And that's why in our pre show, I was asking about like, when would it be a good point for me to start a new survival world to explore this way? Because I think that people that want to check out this, this snapshot should start in survival. Oh, like, yes. I think the experience is much better because uh, I felt way more informed. I enjoyed watching over your shoulder more than I enjoyed flying around. I mean, the stuff I saw was cool. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I just feel like it, it it has a much bigger wow factor when you're worried about falling off an edge or running from mobs. Or there's just, you, there's just not the same when you're flying around in Spectator. Yes, um, yeah. It's, it's also harder to discern the shapes of things from Spectator, I find, until you actually fly into the space. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, I, I think the, yeah.
1: the main problem people are encountering, and the thing that I feel like it doesn't have as much impact for people, is that before they do any exploration of these caves for the first time, they go into Spectator mode and they like turn on a night vision effect. And I'm like, you're, you're missing... 90% hmm. of the experience here because finding a cave for the first time, opening out like a tunnel into one of those enormous spaces, and then it being dark and there only being like points of light from glow lichen around the cave. Like, I get that that's not a very good format for YouTube because of YouTube compression not dealing well with darker <laughs> areas of the video. <laughs> but the amount of people I see just turning on night vision and going down in spectator mode and then going, wow, at uh, just this spaghetti mess of tunnels and then it starts to feel a little bit underwhelming because you're like, oh, well, there's just like more caves, I guess, and some of them are bigger. If you actually do any of that stuff in survival, it all feels like it has so much more meaning to me because you're having to struggle against the terrain, you know, and and that's really what survival Minecraft is. So considering that most of us are going to be exploring this stuff in survival it doesn't take much to dig down 64 blocks and realize that you're now below zero and you're still going so i honestly recommend survival as a way to look into this snapshot for anybody who's still curious
0: yeah that's my plan uh uh, i might wait until another update comes to terrain just to kind of see if they're rolling forward with you know you can move one snapshot to the next i'm not looking to take the citadel right now into into a snapshot but i'd be curious to at least you know go from snapshot to snapshot with a persistent world once I get there um that said i did throw the citadel seed number i think a uh, human error potential here into my snapshot world that i decided to check out and it was totally different like it wasn't the citadel with Higher Y values and, and more expensive stuff. It was it was just a different seed. So mm-hmm. again, I could have screwed up there, but that is that's interesting. I'm I'm hoping that there's more more coming down the line for that. Um, I also am pretty tickled that our speculation about negative Y values turned out to be correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean I, I mean I think that was a pretty easy prediction. I don't think we were you know stretching by any means, but I, I think that it's it's really cool to see the world height being what it is, and uh, to your point, I was not expecting it to be this much.
1: Yeah, yeah, like 384 blocks. So Y320 is the new upper build limit, and negative 64 is where you'll find Bedrock. And I've seen a, a surprising amount of debate about where Y0 should be now, because a lot of people arguing that Y0 should now be sea level... And that the world should sort of be adjusted just in terms of like the numerical stuff so that anywhere you go below sea level is in negative y so that's just underground and then it to to some people it feels weird that y0 is still the bottom of the old world and then you get negative numbers for only 64 blocks some people are arguing that y0 should just be the bottom of the world as it now exists uh, so so the zero coordinate should be moved down to where 64 is and the world height should be 384y is like where it tops out and there's there's so many different interesting justifications for each of these. I still think it's really nice having things the way they are so we, we kind of know what to expect until you get to y0 and then digging down into the new stuff when you get into negative feels more exciting to me right now and that sort of feels like we are going further than we ever have before. And whether that changes for when people have gotten used to the new terrain generation being in snapshots, I I don't know. But I sort of feel like the point is moot either way and we're still getting the same amount of world. People are focusing on the semantics of it instead of looking at the bigger picture.
0: While I can see your point to the excitement of going below zero, uh, I think one thing that is nice about that is the consistency with both x and z coordinates having positive and negative numbers yeah and now that y also has positive and negative numbers the only thing i could say is that if they were to do that and keep the negative i'd be on board with them maybe raising y like one to c level yeah Uh, and then having 128 down and then whatever that is left up i'm not doing the math right now but like you know uh, enough going up higher that that you have a, a positive number as well. Um, the difference between Y and the other directions, obviously being that Y is going to have limits, you know, versus you could just go forever in yeah. the other directions. Um, I I can also see the logistics of just taking Y zero all the way down to bedrock and saying like, it's just 384, start at bedrock and you go up. Mm-hmm. That's really straightforward. Uh, it's something that I find really um, or I shouldn't say fine, I found very confusing about Minecraft when I first started playing is that the positive and negative X and Z coordinates are the opposite of algebra. Like it's, it, it it's not, it's the, like if you think about algebra in terms of your math grid and then you think about um, a, a compass, South is positive in Minecraft and North is negative which yeah. is weird to me. Yeah. Like I would think the other, I would, I think the other way around. Like when I, when I think of, of the, the, I think it's the Z axis that goes North South. I think positive, I go North, I go up, you know, mm-hmm. cause you're thinking about like, and that could just be a North American, you know, like left to right, you know, up the like up to down sort of way of reading um, sort of thing. And so yeah, like I can see the both sides of that coin And I think, um, and I don't remember who wrote this in, so I apologize that I forget your name, but somebody was talking about introducing uh, a relative or a younger cousin or something to Minecraft and how they don't necessarily appreciate the oceans because they've never known anything else, right? Yeah. They've just always had this stuff. And I kind of wonder where everyone that's been playing this game for 10 plus years is just like, this is so weird. There's so many different ways they should do this. And then people that are going to come in after the K's and Cliffs update, it's just going to be normal. Like yeah. that's just how it is, right? So I don't know if it's going to be any kind of thing that sticks around long term in terms of like how they number things. But uh, but it it, it it is interesting. And I think part of the excitement of going into the negative integers because we don't know where the deep dark is going to go. I feel like it kind of has that nether or end or like when you go into a negative vertical you're just like what do you mean i'm negative vertical like just mm-hmm. you know like i'm below below <laughs> so it feels
1: more you know exciting we've entered the upside down at that point yeah Oh, um, yes and and think people are gonna do that i mean right and it's it still remains to be seen how are they going to implement the deep dark and this is one of the things i'm interested in for the future is where does that now fit among these giant caves that we've already seen like the name still suggests it should still be underneath everything we could currently explore and so i'm not certain if a certain amount of like the floor of the the current caves is going to be like split off into deep dark biomes if it's going to be a more open area what we saw in minecraft live was still fairly enclosed it was like a tunnel of sorts that the warden was effectively trapping you in so i do wonder how much of that we're going to see and the potential little structures and stuff dotted around maybe tacking on to some abandoned shaft or something could be interesting to see there's there's some really fun world generation stuff that started to happen with uh older features. And we'll talk about some of the newer stuff in a second, but I think the older stuff like abandoned mineshafts, now that they've started to program these in so that they appear in these larger caves and just kind of have uh, you know, chasm-spanning bridges with oak wood supports and stuff, they they take on a bit of a different character when they're that low down and they're not just networks of tunnels. Once they get into one of those larger spaces that opens out a lot, it's kind of cool to see them. And I've seen several that intersect geodes now, which is something I didn't see in any of the other snapshots that I was playing around in once geodes were introduced. And some of them like come through geodes and out the other side. Some of them effectively carve out the side of a geode so you've got almost like a cross-section in an abandoned mineshaft. And some of the uh, the screenshots I've got of these have just been really fun. Um, so I'm interested to see where they go with that. And honestly, geodes themselves, now, now that you have these large caverns geodes are a easier to find and b they look sort of out of place to me because i find a lot of them just kind of hanging down like eggs from the ceiling of a cave and they're still fully formed geodes you know they've still got the entire like mostly encased in tough and calcite structure of them and that feels unnatural to me because of how intentionally rounded they look so i sort of wonder if maybe they're going to see geodes being better integrated into cave terrain and just like one quarter of a geode sticking out of a cave wall or a ceiling as though the rest has been eroded away by whatever else has generated the cave but to me having them still generate as these eggs of amethysts feels a little bit unnatural at this point
0: i feel like it might be and this is speculation because i don't know a lot about the um the underside of minecraft but it feels like it's a it's an order in which things are generated like did geodes come first or did they come second after the giant cheese caves you know like yeah and if they switch the order does then you know when a geode encounters an open space instead of saying make geode say stop making geode and introduce air blocks so that Mm -hmm. instead of looking at a, a a convex you know bulb bulb on the side of a cave you'd end up with a or sorry um yeah, you end up with a concave almost like a dish, you know. So, like, it looks like the geode had been, had been cut in half, exposing the inside. Um, which would be a really cool find as you're lighting up a cave to look over and, like, oh wow, half that wall is purple, you know, mm-hmm. because it, it, a geode has been cut in half, similar to how the mine shafts are going through the geodes. Um, to your point about mine shafts, abandoned mine shafts, I think they look more natural. Like, yeah. I think rather than just stumbling upon this abandoned mineshaft, it's like, well, no wonder it's abandoned. There's no entrance. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, there's no, no way in, no way out. Yeah,
0: exactly. Whereas when you stumble upon these giant caves and you think, oh, there's a, a, a single huge, tall, you know, platform suspended out in the middle of this. Obviously, that's where, you know, the entrance was at one time, you know, in the past. And it just kind of makes it, it gives it more history. And it feels like start your adventure here, you know, and then you go, go from there. Um, and I I like it. I think I think it looks really really cool. I I'm hoping to see um, the integration of mine mineshaft, abandoned mine shafts into other things. Like how how cool will those abandoned mine shaft platforms look coming out of like a lush cave?
1: Yeah yeah that, that's that's really what we're waiting for at this point is the the overlay of all of the additional biomes. But mm. uh, I I just want to see what they look like scaled up to the scale of some of these caverns because. Some of the caverns you find are just awe-inspiringly large, and I think the thing they've really nailed with this update is variety in caving, which was something we could never really rely on before. You would obviously get some tunnels intersecting, but largely speaking the caves were going to be the same until you reached a ravine, or you got a little bit closer down to diamond level and lava lake level, and then you maybe found some slightly wider caves around there. But most of the cave generation in vanilla Minecraft up until this point has been fairly predictable. And I think unpredictable is really what we start to see with these caverns. They, The Swiss cheese type of generation that they've been talking about has, I mean, more hole than cheese, really. Um, but what you end up with is these enormous pillars of rocks supporting the ceiling, which feels like a very natural generation for that cave and there are vast expanses now, that some of which are lit by, uh, by glow lichen. I expect some of them will eventually be lit by uh, lava lakes and stuff as well when they add those back in, and the scale of those feels very inspiring. I think it's also going to be very easy to get lost, <laughs> but um, yeah, we have plenty of like navigation tools in the overworld compared to somewhere like the nether which we're used to getting lost in anyway so you know people will keep coordinates and they'll keep everything else and they'll they'll be okay but I think they're a really nice template to add basically whatever we want to, either as the players or the developers for, for lush caves and dripstone caves and stuff to be added in here. And then the players to be able to come in and build whatever they want in these massive expanses without worrying about being two blocks below the surface, I think it's going mm. to be a completely different experience now.
0: I I really love the expansive caves like i i remember i did i watched the uh eximavoid video as i often do for snapshots and granted he did the whole night vision thing um while he was talking he was flying around effort little effortlessly with elytra in some giant caves yeah uh-huh. <laughs> like and part of me is just like it's cool the you know the the pat on the back uh grind um tip of the hat that you give to players that make that stuff you know, that have to dig out all that stuff. Uh, and there are some players that very much enjoy that. Uh, I am not one of them. And and I like the end result, but it's just too much of a time sink for me. Uh, but now that they can get you most of the way there and inspire you by the different shapes and stuff that exist in these cheese caves, I, I mean, I had lots of ideas watching, mm-hmm. you know, some videos and, and just flying around them on my own little exploration. And what I really like about the pillars that you're talking about these natural stone pillars is how thick they are we've seen a fair amount of images from the dripstone caves and and things in the past and they've been okay um but i think that in our minds we're just thinking about how big these caves were from the minecraft live videos but now seeing pillars that are six by six or nine by nine at the thinnest point Mm
1: -hmm. uh
0: with a lot of texture and noise happening so they look more natural uh really adds to i think the structure of minecraft where you know you are playing a game where you can kind of build out infinitely with stone blocks in a single wide bridge and just gravity doesn't do anything right um and i think that this helps the caves feel more like natural caves by a long shot compared yes. to just a giant hole in your minecraft world right
1: but it and... also it also doesn't feel like you're looking at a set piece cave either no That's the the, the cleverest part of this for me is how organic everything feels because we're used to say like going into an abandoned mineshaft you encounter that one room that's like a 10 by 10 cube basically Mm -hmm. uh the same way you go traveling in caves and sometimes you'll encounter a cave junction that is just a completely rounded room and you think oh it's one of those because you've seen them before and Mm -hmm. now now when we go out into these caverns we're seeing something completely different every time more or less. I, I still think there are some things like the, um, the underground aquifers, these sort of localized water levels, that still feel a little bit formulaic to me, but they're formulaic in a way that's still new to me, so I'm still excited to find them. Um, there's going to be a little bit more stuff to, to discuss with those as they start to refine some of the stuff about that. But you're right that having a combination of thinner and thicker pillars really starts to flesh out the feeling of a natural cave and i think part of the problem for me right now is that we only get them below y0 and i think that's probably a concession to the fact that they won't be able to affect those chunks like above y0 in existing worlds so naturally they want to put the majority of the new cave generation underneath where bedrock level is for us now so for people moving on to Uh, a new world which you'll eventually be able to do you'll be able to upgrade your 116 world to 117 i i think they've wanted to put most of the terrain the terrain generation down there so we don't miss out on any of it uh but i really feel like there should be a greater variety of it closer to the surface in new worlds which may potentially be where those waterlogged aquifers that we were talking about, the ones that from sea level down to Y-32, they're flooded and that's going to be fixed. That might actually be what's missing for me about the the whole picture of generation at this point.
0: Yeah, I noticed that a lot of the overworld generation, specifically in your video, did feel odd. Like to have this weird angled chasm go through a lake and your only way down is to swim down. You know, uh, or find another way to dig down, I guess, um, that that didn't feel quite as natural as far as the surface level was concerned. Whereas once we were down into the caves, that felt like a little bit more uh, like where they were supposed to be. Yeah. Um, I don't mind that they're so deep. Uh, I think maybe that's just, where this is just the tip of the iceberg, I feel like things like seeing more lush caves appear closer to the surface might make more sense. Um, at first especially if they entice the player to then travel down the spaghetti cave that leads to the giant cheese cave or whatever um, i think that that could be a nice way to progress i also wonder too like if you're going to dig down that far to get to these caves that means you're going to encounter coal and iron and exposed minerals and might be just naturally better prepared just because of the amount of stuff you're going to have to get through before you get to the big cave because they are so dark and full of mobs and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and and we should talk a little bit about where you're going to find ores because I think right now ore distribution, they've acknowledged, does need tweaking in the light of these new caves because um, these big caves leave a lot of surface level ores exposed. It's effectively like having a beacon strip mine already made for you. Uh, There's such a large space that inevitably... The way ore generation currently works you're going to find diamonds and iron and redstone exposed on every surface and they're still generating with the old terrain generation which means anything y16 and below is going to have diamonds and that includes all of the new stuff so i spent a couple of hours on stream running around one of these caves and i i I think i probably spent maybe a full hour just exploring the cave alone and i had nearly two stacks of diamonds and full diamond gear (laughs) So if you just run around one of these caves, that's not even with fortune either. That's just like raw diamonds out of the ground. So I think some of the rarer ores, if they aren't changing the actual coordinates at which they're distributed then they might need an, a similar approach to ancient debris where they at least have to be completely surrounded by other blocks. So you're only going to find diamonds if you start to dig into some of the walls or you naturally expose them instead of just having a free-for-all where you run through a cavern and instantly know where all the diamonds are. Yeah. And or,
0: or give diamonds a floor. Like they between y11 and y-11 and they just don't yes. they don't appear lower than that something like that would
1: work I them. I took a poll about this on my YouTube channel recently because I was curious about what everyone's thoughts were after that video and a lot of people wanted to see diamonds between y16 and the bottom of the world now. They actually wanted a, a broader range to see diamonds in. I think probably because people just want to get hold of diamonds, right? Loosely speaking, they're like, yes, I can now buy out my entire server's economy. Uh, inflation, guys, everyone's going to have the same amount of diamonds, really. But uh, I, I think the. The difference being like, do we just have one stripe of diamonds there? Is there going to be striation of diamond ore and then nothing below that? At which point, what is the point for players who are more obsessed with material wealth in going below that at all? (laughs) You know, I I think we're going to find that whatever the diamond distribution is, there is some play style that doesn't match up to it. So it's a really difficult balancing act for me. And I would definitely argue that shifting diamond level down to the new bottom of the world down to like Y 48 through 64 is not really the best approach because a lot of players are going to want to have diamond armor before they would feel confident exploring such large caves Mm -hmm. and... I think the devil's advocate argument is that diamonds or diamond equipment can very easily be found in, you know, shipwrecks, uh, you can get stuff through villager trades, you can even go to the nether from the surface and then find diamond armor in a bastion or diamonds in a nether fortress chest or something like that if you're lucky enough to find either. So the risk rewards balance needs a little bit of thinking through and I'm certain that they're going to be doing a lot of Uh, of testing of that over the next little while to find out what the right sort of balance is you could have y16 to negative 16 and so there's like a certain stripe of diamonds you could get you could have a broader range and just make diamonds rarer so that you can encounter diamonds still by strip mining or branch mining but it's going to be uh, a slimmer chance than it used to be and then if you you know wander down through into the caves then you're going to find more diamonds exposed there but at the risk of there being lots of mobs around and having to light the entire place up there's Mm. there's a lot of thought that has to go into that i feel
0: yeah i don't mind so much that the caves are dark and dangerous i was disappointed that they were so dark just because i wanted to see them yeah but i you know i don't mind that it makes minecraft a bit harder to explore down there like that i don't because i feel like a lot of times even as a survival player i find sometimes the threats in minecraft being a late game player for three years is just like meh it's it doesn't really I die more from falling off of stuff when I'm building than I do yeah. from a mob killing me. Yeah. So I, I don't mind the idea of a new threat. Like, I think that's actually quite, quite cool. Um. I, like I like I said, or like you said, I, I don't know how they handle the progression there, but I know from my uh, experience playing all of Fabric 3, the mod pack, they had a quarry or I can't remember the, the exact name of the biome, but essentially it was a big, like dip in the overworld with, more than the average number of exposed minerals now the, it wasn't diamonds the game had or the the mod pack had things like you know sapphire and copper and iron and a bunch of different things coal that you can collect but it was exciting as a as a player on the mod pack to be able to go to this one spot take the extra travel distance to get there. But then while you're there, you really could pack away a lot of material. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked the excitement of that. And I kind of wonder where I say no to diamonds for that kind of thing. But I'm still okay with seeing a lot of iron, and a lot of coal, maybe some extra redstone in the walls of these caves. Because I think that would kind of like en- enhance the excitement. You know, like you have to go down there, you have to battle the mobs. You can't see anything. You have to light the thing up before you can actually find them. But putting a torch down and then seeing like a wall of, you know, six or eight redstone blocks just kind of like right there and exposed in the cave wall would be awesome, you know? Um, We also know that they're, at least with copper, they're looking at doing vein generation, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they've talked about adding more strategy to mining is the way they've described it. And I think we might see the similar approach being taken now that we're looking at different cave generation. You might find one diamond ore in a wall somewhere but is it just one or is it like a a longer stretch of diamond that you might have to dig two or three blocks into the wall to continue to find it but uh yeah you're going to be following veins of it more so than just finding blobs of it around the cave floor so yeah that that might potentially be a uh a worthwhile approach to take and I, i would like to see a bit more um like cave strata rather than like blobs of material when it comes to the decorative stone types as well. I think it'd be really nice to see, uh, you know, veins of diorite and granite or sort of generating in in layers rather than just in patches. And I feel like that could, once again, add to a bit more realism for this stuff. Almost imagine it generating like the stripes of a mesa, but underground with some of those pillars dangling from the ceiling. And yeah, I, I really like that idea. So... Potentially, yeah, that would we'll, be very see, cool. we'll see a lot of stuff changing around about these.
0: In, in these expanses and the, the, the chunks getting much larger, uh, the first thought that I had uh, when seeing a giant cave that is dark, full of mobs ready to hand you your face, uh, if you knew how to create some traps, like that could be a very easy early, early game mob spawner. Uh, if you just create a, a way to protect yourself from the uh, the onslaught of mobs, have them only spawn in the dark area of the cave, where they can all walk towards you, if you're just playing in that area, you could probably amass a lot of bones, you know, whatever the zombies are going to drop, uh, you could have them all not die immediately but like fall into a little catchment chamber where you could just run around and smack their feet and get the drops yourself like there could be a lot of potential there to get some xp and stuff early on without i don't want to say not a lot of effort you still have to survive long enough to set up the you know the the mob farm um but because the things are so expansive and there's not a lot of little caves next door taking up mob spawns i feel like there was an interesting you know kind of like dynamic there Of like if you knew what you were doing you might be able to really take advantage of these caves from a technical standpoint yeah Um, and and the other question that i have which i I know i didn't look into very much but i'm curious whether you did was um, in terms of like mob farms that require like um, chunk um, chunk loading and and the, the idea of like previously we had to light up caves underneath witch farms you know to to make them more efficient Um, if you're building things in the sky or you're putting a mob farm up above the world like is this change in world height now advantageous to the redstone farms or do you think it's going to create more complication
1: it's it's a problem for for technical stuff especially because you've got an additional 64 blocks of spawnable space below you if you're standing at sea level so effectively while you are lighting up areas 128 blocks horizontally you now have to light up areas 128 blocks vertically as well for a uh, a witch farm so if you're looking at folks like you know the Cycrafters who'd make a perimeter for something like that they're also having to you know make a perimeter that now includes another 64 blocks of height Uh, So you're you're looking at a lot more effort going into technical farms and also reduced efficiency thanks to the fact that the game is still calculating spawns from the bottom of the world upwards. So imagine your enderman farm suddenly being 64 extra blocks in the air and you're not going to see nearly the spawn rates you see down at the bottom of the world. And obviously the, the end isn't changing, the nether isn't changing, so those farms won't be impacted. But... Uh, if you look at witch farms as the example here a witch farm is now going to be half as efficient as it was before because the game is calculating spawns at 128 blocks above the bottom of the world instead of you know where it was previously so yeah there's potentially going to be some compromises to be made there the thing is with farms like that with any kind of like natural mob spawning farm where you're taking advantage of not a spawner block but the generation mechanics of mobs in dark rooms or whatever the only thing that's really holding you back there is time like once you've got the farm set up you can just afk there for twice as long you'll get the same amount of drops it's not like the drops themselves are being nerfed it's that the efficiency the farm is such that you need to double the amount of time you spend there but you'll still get the same amount of things and then it comes down to how much time you're willing to invest versus you know, the the other ways of acquiring that stuff. We might see people trading with villagers more to get redstone instead of setting up a witch farm, but you can still AFK overnight at your witch farm and get a decent amount of drops from that. I don't think it's going to be a huge problem compared to the benefit it's going to have overall for the community when it comes to having fun exploring the caves. I Do you- Sorry, go on. Do you do you think that farms like the
0: floating mob farm in the sky, the, the idea being that you get your AFK spot so high that you're not loading anything below because your player radius is basically hovering above the ground? Now that you can get that even higher, even though they still calculate mob spawns from the bottom up, the fact that you're not loading in nearly as many caves and have to run around for stuff like that. So I mean, which farm obviously you have to do it around the witch hut, but like if this is something that you build up in the sky. Do you do you think that that will be better for players now that they can basically build it farther away? It's the same reason that people make the um, gold farm donuts up above the nether.
1: Well, I mean, in theory, you don't need to build it any higher than you can already build it, because the the right. only thing is you need to be 128 blocks away from any spawnable space. So if your sea level is still at Y64, then you still need to be at Y192, which is where people build them now. You still have, you know, 200... 56 blocks of height to build in the world so we could build those higher the point is building them a little bit lower means that the spawn rates are going to be better so mm. i i don't really see people shifting that around unless terrain shifts upwards somehow <laughs> and then then it becomes advantageous that you've got a, a higher build height limit the build height limit is really there because they want to make mountains more expansive and have mountains actually feel mountainous while still allowing players to build on them so i think having mountains that now peak around the same level that we see shattered savanna biomes peaking, around like Y220 in some mm. instances, that's going to still allow for, okay, you can build a hundred block thing on top of this before you hit build height. So you can build a big castle on top of the highest mountain you can find in the world and you've still got enough room to do that. I think technical minecrafters aren't really going to care that much about it because they're already building farms in places that are selected to be as high enough in the world that they don't encounter any mob spawns, but low enough that they're still taking advantage of, you know, advantageous mob spawning algorithm.
0: I don't have a lot to say about the build height. I mean, it's cool. I'm looking forward to mountains. Uh, The part in your video where you showed it a shattered savannah and you basically said, like, imagine a mountain being up here. I was just like, yes, 100% on board. Mm -hmm. The only thing that has me concerned is, like, if you want to build something massive, like if you want to build the Tower of Orthanc and you want it to go floor to ceiling build height, If the render distance doesn't render in the ground, then it kind of defeats the purpose. Like if I can't see the top of my tower from the ground, then it's going to be cool for mountains because the mountains are going to go up into the fog. But at the same time, like in real life, you can unless it's a cloudy day, you can see the top of mountains, you know, and I I, so I'm I'm wondering if there might be like a render fog change vertically um, for for playing because. I wouldn't want to put all the time into something or plan to do something really tall, only to find out that I couldn't see the top of it.
1: Yeah, and and for some people that might be a good thing because you know I I put a pillar on in a desert and then you know filled it with stone blocks all the way to build height and then from the ground the top of that not rendering in because of the fog is actually almost impressive to me it's like you can make something that almost looks infinitely tall because you can't see the top of it so if you wanted to use that for for impact then you can find yourself building that high but i honestly like i don't see that many people building up to y256 anyway and i would be surprised if this shift in build height really encourages that many other players to build bigger except when it comes to creative builds which you know, could have added in a couple of hundred blocks extra, but they just didn't have the room. Um so now they got sixty-four blocks more to build with there. But yeah, I don't see people doing that often in survival, which is, you know, primarily what I play. Um Yeah, the the build height thing doesn't matter as much to me as the depth, and um, because the depth actually has content right now. And mm. I mean, if potentially we end up seeing sky islands put above Y two hundred and fifty six or something like that, uh, then yeah. it would change something for me. But I don't know if that's really the direction they're going, especially not with this update, but who knows more, more sky room in future potentially means more impressive terrain or potentially some changes to terrain that we could see in future. The Um, thing
0: that I thought of with, um, build height and or atmospheric perspective, you know, in terms of the fog distance and stuff like that, which would be very cool in tall builds is not necessarily building something that tall, but being able to, build a skyscraper, have that go up to whatever height you want, 128, 200, something. If you wanted to then add a helicopter or a plane or something, you could get yourself up to build height and put that up there. And if it would render in, but render in in a like with enough atmospheric perspective in between it, it would be a really cool effect to yeah. be able to put things in the sky. Maybe it's a dragon. Maybe it's a pterodactyl. I don't know what it is. But the fact that it could be so far away that the resolution would be, like fuzzy enough that you could give some real
1: life to the sky in Minecraft would be very cool. You can, you can build clouds out of whatever you want now (laughs) because because they're all just going to render in as like fluffy white things because of the fog. Yeah. Um, (sighs) so going back a little bit to the, the, the cave exploration stuff, and this is my last thought really before we wrap things up, because we're going long here. Of course we are, but this is such a big snapshot that I feel (laughs) like it merits this amount of discussion. Um, As far as night vision goes, and people are talking about how night vision is going to be so much more useful, I really feel like night vision needs revisiting and revising to brighten your surroundings but to not remove darkness entirely. My main problem, and I think it's just a function of how it is easiest to code night vision, is that you just remove all darkness all the time and like everything is lit up evenly. And I sort of feel like that like means that the the caves don't look as dramatic anymore and is part of my problem with people flying around and just looking at these things in night vision in spectator mode is that you lose some of the subtlety of the way everything has generated and you were talking about night vision goggles and stuff earlier maybe that would be could be a uh, an alternative but I think the night vision potion effect could really just brighten everything while allowing you to see where there are still dark spaces. Also eliminates the problem of running around a cave and not knowing where the dark spaces are and running into mobs because everything looks evenly lit to you. (laughs) Um, But I I feel like people who are just going to be using night vision to explore these caves are missing out on how nice the experience can be and how much atmosphere is in these caves now because... All of the atmosphere right now is conveyed by lighting, and if you're removing the lighting, you're removing the atmosphere, to me. Uh, So I I would really like to see maybe an update to that in future, if not in this update, that brings night vision a little bit closer to just amplifying the lightness a little bit, but not necessarily removing those dark areas. Um, I also think, going back to the email, we do need a bigger lighting solution for bigger caves, and... I don't want to make torches obsolete, but having the option to craft something with a wider lighting radius is very appealing in the face of such vast spaces. And once again, it comes down to the problem with detangling lighting from mob spawning a little bit, because by by lighting an area up artificially, but not having block light there, you're only you're only giving you're only solving half of the problem <laughs> because mm. the problem is not necessarily i need to see all of this the problem is i need to see all of this and i need to stop things that kill me spawning there and so i i wonder if we will see any kind of movement towards either disentangling lighting from mob spawning or allowing us to have light sources with a larger radius to counterbalance how big some of these cave spaces are that people are going to want to build with and that will have the knock-on effect of making the surface a little bit easier to build in too and potentially eliminate some of the problems people have with having to have light sources every five blocks so that you can guarantee a certain light level for mob spawns but, yeah
0: I, I guess the easiest way to do that would be to just increase the base radius so like instead of a torch having a radius of 15 and the light falling off one for every block if the radius was 30 you know and the light didn't start falling off until after 15 blocks from the torch then it would gradually get lower um i guess the the issue that i have there and i don't know how to solve it is that like then your all of your builds are just bright like you just everything just has to be like neon like on all the time and that's kind of that's not what i would want what's i'm not familiar enough with it i've seen it used in some mod packs it's like a mega torch yeah, and it does the same idea. Just does it? Does it create light, or does it just affect spawns?
1: I think it's more both? a spawn affecting thing. I've seen a lot yeah. of people place it underground as well because it affects mm. like the chunks that it's in, rather than it necessarily being something that has to cast block light everywhere. It's more right. of like a hard coded okay, stop mob spawns within this radius if one of these is present um right. which again is different and it, it it removes the lighting aspect from mob spawning which is very powerful to mess around with and we we've talked about this before about how yeah if you give yeah. players that power then they can mess with each other by blocking mob farms or it just becomes too easy to limit where mobs can spawn if you get enough of these but i think sooner or later something like that is gonna probably have to give one way or the other in the survival game otherwise players are just going to be spamming torches around these caves for the rest of their lives
0: hmm yeah no i i, I hear you I, I feel like there could be i don't know i i want there has to be a more elegant solution i just can't quite think of it and i, I mean and we can't be the only people i'm sure the minecraft devs have been racking their brain about how to handle this for a long time uh and in that on that note uh i want to tip my hat because like we've been listening to the the news we've been following the snapshots but like to see it firsthand to to see both from a creative flying around and from a uh, from your survival perspective in your video like i I am impressed and I want to tip my hat to the to the developers and just like this is just the tip of the iceberg like this mm-hmm. is just them saying like this is where we're going but it's by no means obviously finished and like this is i I think bigger probably the biggest update I've ever seen in the game that I've been playing so far. Like, yeah, uh, oceans this, were huge, but this is bigger.
1: This follows on the heels of the Nether update, and we're still impressed <laughs> at the scale of all of this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I honestly did not expect how much 64 extra blocks of depth was going to change things. And people have made mods that increase the world height exponentially, like the Cubic Chunks mod does that, where you, just, you can just go down into the world for as long as you want to. But somehow this being part of vanilla now and, and you know, being a, an official sort of update to the game is is mind-blowing. And yeah, once again, hats off to the devs for doing what they're doing right now because I can't imagine the hoops they're having to jump through to make sure it performs well. And yeah, hopefully this is just the beginning. We're going to see even more refinements to it in the weeks to come. But uh, for now, that is going to be it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. Feel free to write into the show and share your opinions about what you think of these caves. I expect there's going to be a few controversial ones out there, but we will try and get a well-rounded look at that over the next couple of weeks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in by visiting patreon.com slash chunks. You can join our community, pledging at any level gets you our... Uh, An invite to our patrons-only Discord chat gets you listening to the extended version of the podcast, The Render Distance, and gets us closer to our next goals of having a monthly Minecraft audio hangout where we shoot the breeze about what our patrons have been doing in Minecraft that week. Uh, We're currently at 234 patrons, which is another increase from last week. Many thanks to everyone who has jumped on board. Hopefully you're listening into the show live right now. And special thanks go out to our content engineers, Fazu Battlecaster, General Pattern, 82 Greener Canuck, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode.
0: Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It's free. You can find us at the Spawn chunks on Twitter and Instagram. But a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say, hey, you should listen to the Spawn Chunks and let them know where they can go to listen. Those places include iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, really wherever you get a podcast. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And the Patreon page is where you can find the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast.
1: My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixel Riffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixel where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixel Riffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online?
0: Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com You can listen to The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast, all about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment at thecitadelcafe.com Ryan Murphy is going to be joining me this week We're going to be talking about Destiny 2 because my first multiplayer experience in that game is happening tonight You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, at Joel Duggan on Twitch where I am building a medieval town in Minecraft
1: Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks The world outside is infinite and now we're back in the mine